You are listening to another episode of the Keep the Change podcast. And in today's episode, we've got a very, very special guest, Angela Strang, who has been able to retire before the age of 35. And so quite simply, we're going to try and find out how the fuck that is even possible, what retiring means, because I'm sure we've all got different definitions, and just what we can learn from Angela's journey. So thank you for giving up your time, Angela. I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about how uh, you've built yourself out a financial plan and executed it. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's the way. So property's been your thing. And you've probably been uh, investing for over a decade now. Do you want to go right back to the start in terms of how you uh, got into property to start with and, and what caught your eye about investing in property? Yeah, sure. Um, I actually even don't, don't know why I even got into property. Um, I know that, yeah, I, I, I have, like from when I was a, a kid, I really just wanted to be rich. So I didn't know how I was going to do that. Um, I heard about the mining industry and how um, people were earning lots of money over there. So I went over and winged it trying to find a job in the mining industry. And I, and I did. I eventually got into the mines. And that's how basically I saved up my deposits for um, investing. Um, you know, after going on a big OE for seven months um, and then coming back and, and earning more money to save up for houses. Um, I think I just bought my first property as more of a, um, I need to buy a house because one day I might, you know, move back to New Zealand and need a base. And then I guess I wasn't an accidental landlord from that perspective, but then I got hooked and I just kept on buying more and more. I realized how lucrative it was back then and kept on going. Wow. All right. Well, we'll explore some of that. So had you studied or what, you know, you went to the mines, what were you doing prior going to the mines? So um, after high school, I travel, I did travel tourism and business, um, a diploma in that and become a travel agent. But at that time, the internet was starting to take over. So people were starting to book their flights online. So with anything I'd ever thought of, I was going to own a business and not just work as a travel agent. So it then became not a very good business prospect. So I thought, well, this isn't really going to do, do it for me. So I actually um, took off and went over to the UK and drove tractors. Um, they asked me if I'd driven tractors before and I said yes, but I'd only driven a tractor around a paddock maybe twice. And just in a loop, oh. I had no idea how to put implements on or anything like that. So I just had to call up the Kiwi guys and ask them how to do it. Um, but I had three accidents while I was over there. Um, and then went and did the harvest in Australia on the way home, which I much preferred because the gates were a lot wider and I didn't need to crash into anything. Um, learned how to drive a big uh, six, no, what is it? A, tr- a 12 gear road ranger truck. And um, yeah, earned money that way. So that was my first house deposit. Um, so built a house in Cromwell. Um, however, um, that was the 2008 downturn. So, um, yeah, basically lost 30 grand because um, I decided, well, it was the 2008 downturn. So, you know, things went fair shape there. I was paying 9%, 9.8% interest, I think it was at the time. And I got into that house by doing, I was a third. My boyfriend at the time was a third and his parents were a third. Um, however, yeah, he wanted to serve down and have kids, but I was only 21. So I thought actually I'm going to go and try this mining thing so um, yeah so went over the end of that so I guess my first uh, introduction to property was a huge loss which was actually a really good thing because now with this downturn I've 
taken those lessons from that time and um, am quite cautious now in this market. Um, but yeah, know what to look for and and um, basically have a buffer for this time in the market. Nice. Is working in the mines, is that still something that heaps of people go and do? I feel like it was a massive chat kind of like three or four or five years ago, but is that, uh, do you know, like Kiwis going and doing that? It's happening again. It's, it's, I, I believe that if somebody wanted to copy exactly what I did, they could do it today. Because uh, when I did it, yeah, there was a big mining boom going on. And now that same mine, that mining had a downturn when I came back. And now that's taking off again. So there's huge opportunities. And a lot of those jobs paying $10 an hour more than what I was earning over there. And more super that you get. Um, <clears throat> so I realized that we um, that are off track before. Um, so my first mining job, obviously, yeah, I did travel and tourism. So my first job over in Australia was working in Perth, booking the flights and accommodation for the mine workers. And from there, I kept on begging them for a job up on site. So I did maintenance admin, then maintenance planning, and then became a project manager. Um, so leading earthworks, so like diggers, graders, and um, excavator operators, and getting them to build uh, drill pads. And then so they could find more ore under the ground to build more mines or uh, mine pits. Wicked. So you're stacking cash and then you're probably having your accommodation and stuff paid for you as well. So you're decreasing your expenses because your living costs aren't there. And then you're just building up a, a fund that you're then going to go and attack the Southland property market with at some stage. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's the key thing um, with the mining industry was the fact that you're not, you don't have any expenses. You're in the middle of nowhere. You can't like all you can spend money on is stubbies at the bar, like, and they're only like four dollars. I think they actually increased their price a lot to stop people drinking so much. Um, but back wow. then they were like four dollars at tops um, per beer. Yeah. So, and there might be some of them had a little tuck shop, but there's nothing. Yeah, you, you're just up there for like four weeks at a time with nothing. So you come out of it with like, oh, I don't know how much was it? Like maybe two grand, maybe eight grand cash just to go and spend so if you wanted to you can have a heck of a good time or you could save up and buy investments <laughs> eight grand what like a, a, a month or what when how long period yeah i'm just thinking well back then i'm just thinking a four week when i was doing four weeks on one week off roster i was earning 160 grand a year so if you don't have any expenses because wow. i just would travel on my breaks like go to asia or go somewhere new um so yeah you're about to work that out faster than me how much that was a month <laughs> No, no, that's all right. I was just trying to figure out the frequency. So you'd do four weeks and then have one week off. So you'd go and like live it up for a bit and then get back into the hard yakka. Sounds like you don't mind a bit of hard work. Where did, uh, the, when you say before, you, you wanted to be rich, you knew that when you were growing up. Where, do you, where did that desire come from? Uh, yeah, I had, had a huge desire from a kid because I guess I'm not from a traditional two-parent family. I um, When I was six years old, our second house was Women's Refuge. And uh, there was a lot of crap as a kid. You know, like I don't need to get into a lot of, all that really gross stuff but um you know there's fighting and uh, a lot of money spent trying to run away and having to go back to the where the dad was and being locked in the house with your dad and having to go back to the old school they used to go to without a uniform and kids saying it's not mufti day da 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 and I guess um from all those sort of experiences um I guess you know not having choices as a child um and my mum not having choices um because of financial you know with having money together and all that sort of thing um, and being, you know, a stay-at-home mum, I had this huge desire to change that and, and and so that if I ever had myself, found myself in that same situation, I could escape, you know, like I'll have my own money so that when I have kids, 
I can just retire. I don't have to ever go back to work. If I need to just look after my kids and that's it, I can. Um, yeah, I just I just had this huge drive drive not to ever have to be financially dependent on a, on a man or like be trapped yep. because they're in control of my finances. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. It's um, I'm always fascinated what people have gone through or what they can remember from their childhood as such that's then led them to like either break the cycle because we either break it or we continue it by the seams, right? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Mm. So that's pretty inspiring. And so you're in the mines, you're stacking some coin, and then you you stay in Australia and buy your first property in New Zealand, or do you do you move home and buy your first one? Yeah, so I came back for a holiday and bought the first one. Um, and that all went well for the first year. So, um, <laughs> and then I had uh, the tenants moved. They had a house sitting opportunity for a year, so they moved and offered to be the property managers for me. So um, then it turned to custard because of this. Um, they let people in there that were um, from the Christchurch earthquakes that they felt sorry for, and you know the classic case of growing marijuana in the basement. And the house got completely trashed, like sixteen thousand dollars worth of damage. Back then, was quite a lot of money when it was only a hundred and fifty thousand dollar house. Um, and then, but I, you know, everyone said to me, sell up and like put your money in the bank, it's way safer. But I was like, no, I've, I've learned some really good lessons from this. A, get um, house and landlord protection insurance, and B, get a proper property manager, not somebody that's never managed properties before. Um, yeah. So I, I learned from that and then I continued to buy. So my next one, two, three properties I bought just sight unseen in Australia. I just got, um, well, one of them was the, the tenants who originally. Uh, rented that house and were house sitting for a year they then needed a house to live in so I said will you go find something that suits you and if the figures stack up I'll buy it so that was that one sorted I never had to view that one and the other one was um, I got my auntie to go and have a look at it so um, it's yeah. definitely possible you don't need to come home and look at a property um, so your first one 150 grand and did you need a 20% deposit or 10 or 5 what was the story back then what year was that it was 2010 and it was a 20% deposit. Got you. Okay. So you needed 30K and yeah. you could borrow the rest and that was 2010. Sweet. So we we're kind of like just getting past the GFC and whatnot. Property prices were coming back down or yeah, mm. they're pretty flat. Um, sweet. And so then how long between your purchase of your first property and your second property? So the next three after that, I bought in quite quick succession. Um, so 2013, I bought all those three. Wow. And then the next ones weren't until I come home, I don't think. Oh, yeah, no, they went until I come home in 2015. I came home in 2014, and the next year, 2015, I really ramped up. Yeah. yeah, okay. So people will be wondering, how the fuck can you buy three properties in one year? Uh, what, what happened? What was the magic between 2010 and 2013? Like saving more to build up equity or house prices increasing? What was going on? Oh, huge savings. Yeah, I mean, 2010 was 160K income with saving most of it. Um, so that yeah. really helped. Um, and then also equities going up. So the, the first property, we had the Christchurch earthquakes. So that first property was in Timaru. So a lot of people had to move out of Christchurch, but still wanted to stay close to family and the place that they know. So um, rents went up in Timaru and also the prices of the properties went up. So I had more equity in that to use the next properties. Okay. So you're buying properties in Timaru the whole way through, these first the first lot? Uh, so number one was Timaru. Um, second and third was Omaru, and the fourth was Invercargill. 
the deep south how good most people would probably yeah. find that like unfashionable right but I brought a property in the Naki, much the same, uh, $178,000 for a property. And you could build your equity quite quickly because you can pay the mortgage down um, quite quickly. And was that was that like a little bit of your strategy or light bulb moment to go, wow, I could just keep doing this at scale? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my whole goal the whole time has been about cash flow. Like I wanted to retire early, but have, have replaced my income basically. So there wasn't much point in me buying properties, saving up for a long time to buy a property in Auckland or Wellington for it to go into the capital growth sort of category because I, I wasn't wanting to retire at 65 and have that long-term capital growth. I'll, you still get capital growth with, with the cash flow properties, as I'm sure you found with the Nikki property. Um, that, and then to me, that's just a bonus. Like I'm in it for the cash flow. It's, um, right. I've always been in it for the cash flow. Yeah, so you're, you're trying to build a, a vehicle whereby you can have the rent paid, that's going to help pay the interest, the mortgage, the rates, repairs, property manager, et cetera, plus build up enough to, to start to be able to like pay yourself on the side as well when you get to the end of your goal in terms of um, being able to kind of rely on that as your form of income. Was that your strategy effectively? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just to keep building up um, properties that wash your own face plus pay more, make more income. Wicked. Okay, so by 2013, you've probably got four properties. And what's the most you got to? 13. 13? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Gee, you wouldn't I, need a really yeah. spreadsheet or something to keep a track of all of those, surely. I do. I've got a, a wicked spreadsheet. <laughs> yeah. I love my spreadsheet. That's what, you know, you've got to, you've got to rely on that, really. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. And so those, the next nine that you brought to get to 13 what sort of time period is that happening over is that happening over a, a decade or is that that stage you're at 2014 so uh yeah so 13 was i think maybe two years ago i had 13 or maybe two or three years ago and then not last year the year before i sold i sold two to basically to halve my mortgage and that way um yeah by selling because obviously we've had all that capital growth all the way through and then selling two at the peak, it paid half my mortgage. And then I it actually increased my income because I've got less um, outgoings because obviously I knew the interest rates were going up. So I knew that was going to cut into my cash flow. So um, it was important to me to, to I wanted to keep my, my same figure of income. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So when you were getting more, did you basically know the game of like, right, I need to save X amount more or I need to be checking what the value of all of these properties is so you could go back to the bank or the mortgage advisor they must have been like oh shit Angela's on the phone again um <laughs> and to, to get that next one were you kind of gearing it and leveraging it like right to that point where you were sort of timing it almost by the month or what what, what was the play oh yeah I was always in contact with my um banker to say you know when can I get the next one um and always looking at my spreadsheet like always looking at what are the property values now and keeping track of that, like every month I'd update it. Um, and I'd have my mammoth spreadsheet. So I'd have everything in Australian dollars, everything in New Zealand dollars. Um, so I knew like if I was to move home to New Zealand now and cash out for the Perth house, then this is what I'd have. Sorry, I must have had five back then in 2014 because I had the Perth house as well. Um, so <laughs> then I'd know What's exactly what I'd have. Then, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, 
yeah, just the spreadsheets. I'd always be, you've got to be on your game and know the numbers. It all comes down to numbers. You know, you've got to take the emotion out of it and not um, look at a house and go, oh, I'd like to live in that one. Like the ha- yeah. first house I bought, sure. I mean, it would be fine for somebody to live. It wasn't my dream home. It was something that the numbers yeah. worked on. So when you were buying more, you were still working through this time, but had you, you'd come back to New Zealand, right? So had your income dropped or what were you up to? Yeah, so when I left Australia, my last job, I was only working eight days on, six days off. So I was only down to about $120,000 income. Um, but obviously working less, that was better per hour kind of thing. And then uh, when I moved back to New Zealand, I went down to $40,000 <laughs> income. Uh, yeah, dropped by a third. So I'm um, just doing basic admin just to get my foot in the door. Um, and yeah, but the good thing about that was, even though it was just doing admin for 40000 it gave me time because um, I was used to working these 12-hour days and used to having to pump out the work and get things done. So by morning tea time or at least lunchtime, I'd have all my job done and I'd be like, uh, has anyone got anything to do? And no one would have anything for me to do. So I'd just sit on trade me and find more properties. So it actually worked out quite well. Wow. <laughs> the so, cat's out of the bag now. <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully your past employers aren't working um but were you having to you were having to service these mortgages as well right or were you building up such a rent role in terms of people paying rent that it was you know still quite easy to get one or with that drop in income with the bank starting to say hey look we don't know if we can lend for another one yeah i didn't have any issues then i wonder if i if i was moving back now I'm, i might have issues with that but um by that stage i had enough to quit work not have to work but i'd still have I think it was like a thirty-three or thirty. Uh, it was $30,000 income anyway. However, I didn't feel able to quit work at that stage because I felt like that was just too low that, you know, if I needed uh, a new roof or something on a house, then that's taken away a lot of my income. So, and I didn't want to have to just buy it into my savings. Um, yeah. <clears throat> even though I had my own home was mostly paid off. I think I had 70000 left on my own home as a mortgage. Um yeah, so I think obviously the banks could see that, you know, she's definitely servicing her current property, so taking on one more that's positively cash flowed shouldn't be a problem, I guess. Yeah, nice. What was the highest level of debt that you got to? And was that ever scary to look at? Um, I think it was 1.6 million, which it doesn't sound like a lot now, does it? And then it's just two Auckland properties. <laughs> um, <laughs> Probably it didn't one. seem scary... To, uh, I guess, yeah, I, probably two years ago, and that's why I did sell off two properties because that halved my debt. And it also freed up two properties to be freehold. So then I um, got my lawyer to take the bank as, um, sorry, take the bank off as security off those two properties. So that way I kind of, it's like, you know, um, coming home with two freehold properties, you know, like they, they can't touch them anymore. So, um, yeah, that was one sort of thing, I guess, looking at having kids at that stage or had just had kids I think um I just wanted to safeguard everything you know I've spent so long building this all up you just don't want to go backwards knowing that the economy you know we're right at a peak here we're going surely it's going to drop off at some point and you know like if I miss out on an extra 20 30k per property because I haven't sold at the absolute peak I'm not going to be worried you know like I'm I'd rather be safe yeah yeah so you you sold two properties which you then basically took the funds from those after paying off the, the debt on those two properties and then cleared some more debt on some of your other properties. So then you're sitting at around 10 or 11 properties. Is that right? Yeah. So currently, yeah, have 11 properties now. Uh, hang on. 
13. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Because I sold one last year and bought another one. So that's right. Yeah. So I do have still 11 now. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So I cleared the debt on two. Yeah. And then yeah. the rest of the their mortgages as well. It's bloody hard to keep up, isn't it? Did the interest deductibility, <laughs> did that change anything for you in terms of your thinking? So just for people that don't understand that, basically the rules were changed so that for a rental property, you couldn't claim 100% of your interest as a tax deductible expense, which brings down your profit from renting your houses out, which you then have to pay tax on. Uh, they, they were removing that and they were removing it over time. And so now a lot of landlords are facing having to pay tax uh, on their properties unless their interest rates start to climb and we might see that, you know, they might not actually be making a profit on these. But that those changes to the tax rules, did they change the way you were playing the game at all? Yeah, definitely. I think it definitely had an effect of, um, well, it kind of made it more sensible to sell those two properties and halve the debt because um, that, in the, in the end, you know, like I always look at my spreadsheets and then duplicate it to a new one. If I do this and sell this and this, what will that look like? And it, and it actually did increase my cash flow. So um, it made it like a no-brainer for me, really. It just pushed me more into that direction to sell those two. Okay. And so what, like, debt levels now? Are you sort of sitting over a mil, under a mil? Under a mil, yeah. Oh, yeah, nice. That must be... Uh pretty comforting given that some people are having to borrow a mill just for their their first home like up here in Auckland for instance and yeah, yeah. like a, a million these days is, is quite a manageable amount of money for people to accept in their head when it comes to property right whereas 10 years ago it probably wasn't yeah so I still can't get I still can't get that in my head to pay a million dollars for one house <laughs> but I mean in 10 years yeah. time we're going to be paying a million dollars down here too so yeah <laughs> So how did you get to the point where you realized, okay, that you can retire as such? And, and what does retire like look like for you? What's your definition of that? And, and was it hard to kind of step back from work and go, right, I've, I can now do what I set out to build almost over 10 years ago now? Yeah, well, I kind of did it slowly because while I was still working, um, I set up a few businesses <laughs> Uh, we had a new, so I was living in Gore at the time. It's not that bad. <laughs> um, and there was a new milk plant getting built. <laughs> so um, I thought, oh, what's the opportunity here? And I thought, well, these guys are going to need somewhere to live. So I'll look for some more properties to rent out to those guys and track down who the managers and project managers were and talk to them. And then I was like, oh, hey, I can offer you a house and I can fully finish it for you, do the lawns and gardens. Um, or sort cleaners because I know that from working on projects overseas that's what they like they like to, be able to just come and not have to do anything not have to lift a finger because it all gets charged back to the company so I started these streams so I had this cleaning commercial cleaning business so I had started doing that I had um 16 house lots out, not even 17 house lots out on hire so I had like a Mr Rentals in Gore just purely wow. to these guys who are working on the milk plant um Oh, in 2015, I won the New Zealand Landlord of the Year. So then people started asking me to manage their properties. So I ended up having 33 properties that I was managing for other people. This is all while I was working full time. And then what was the other thing? Commercial commercial cleaning, furniture hire, property management. Oh, and staging houses. Because obviously during my own flips, um, another investor saw what I was doing. And he said, oh, can you do that for me? And I was like, actually, this is the most fun part about renovating is doing the staging like the finishing touches that's what I love so I started a home staging business as well so while working full-time obviously all these these four avenues all started to become busier and busier and I got to a point where I had to make that decision 
whether to quit work and work on my businesses or or just all tone those down or just put a cap on them. Um, and like, even though I had enough that I, I knew I was financially secure, I think the biggest thing that I feared was my business failing. You know, like, oh, she quit a job and she tried to do a business, but it didn't work. And so, mm. you know, like, I think that's what my fear was. But literally a month afterwards, I had this whiteboard of all the four different things and what I had to do, you know, what things were coming online for different things. And I was just like, oh, go. why didn't I do this sooner? Like, you know, you, you really got to just take that leap of faith. And it, it is scary at the time, but it is so worth it. You just, you don't know your full potential until you just make that move and have a go. Um, and yeah. there's no way you've ever, you know, would ever have to go back to work after um, setting up those four businesses. And, and what happened was all four of those businesses became too busy. So I had to then decide what I was going to focus on. So I sold the rent roll of the property management. The furniture hire naturally came to an end when the um, milk plant was sort of becoming almost finished. So I absorbed some of the furniture that was still good into the home staging business. Um, commercial cleaning came to an end. Oh, also, commercial cleaning, the guys at the milk plant said, why don't you tender for a couple of contracts out here? So I did a, um, I heard there's weekly cleaning of, of the, uh, you know, the workers, um, they call lunch rooms and toilets and things like that. And then at, towards the end of the project, they said, why don't you tender for the big, the final clean down of the milk plant, not the hygienic areas, but just like the offices and all that sort of thing. So I did that. And um, yeah, I learned a massive lesson on that one because I lost $30,000 because ebook construction went bust. But that's okay. It's just another yeah. lesson along the way. Um, so all those, th so it came down to choosing between basically property management or um, home staging. And I was like, well, property management's 24 seven and I get to do that with my own properties anyway. And I like not having a middleman. Like I can just, if someone rings up needing something done, I can just go and do it. Whereas if it's for somebody else, somebody else's property, I have to then get permission off them. And it, you know, I didn't enjoy it as much. Um, so yeah, yeah I, I basically just came to be uh, having a home staging business in the end. And that's, um, so yeah, had this home staging business, absolutely loved it. And then had a kid. I had a baby and so that changed everything I thought that I could be the superwoman and still run my home staging business and my 13 rentals at the time because I was still you know buying properties and setting them up as room by room rentals I had three three room by room room rentals so I think I had I don't know was it 28 or 38 33 tenancies um to manage because you had 12 tenancies just on those three properties wow. so um yeah, I guess having a baby changed everything and I realized, what am I doing here? Like this this business ain't going to work with having a baby. And that's when I decided to retire, basically. But then it's not really retirement because wow. I'm a mum. <laughs> no, that's a full-time job. On its own. And, and do you have two children now? Yeah, yeah. I've got an eight-month-old as well. Yeah. So you've got two full-time jobs, basically. So you're, pretty, you're probably pretty used to it by now, I'd say, juggling so many things. Um, okay yeah. and uh, and then does your your partner work yeah so my husband's a farmer um but we're completely separate financially when we met I was 29 and he was 31 so um yeah we we don't even have a shared joint bank account or anything um we have different things that he pays for these sort of things and I pay for these sort of things um yeah and that's just how it rolls we don't even own a piece of furniture together we might buy wow. a boat in a couple of years. Well, we will buy a boat in a couple of years, and that will be our first thing that we would buy together, <laughs> um, yeah. which I, I quite like um, being separate, and it works well for us. Mm. Yeah. 
And did you do some formalities of um, when you got together in terms of relationship, property agreements or prenups or like any of that sort of stuff? Yes, absolutely. We were both, I think, as soon as we moved, as soon as I moved here to his um, farmhouse, I, yeah, that's when I, <laughs> that's when I signed the, we did a prenup. Um, I was very keen, we were both very keen to, um, obviously I lost 30,000 back in 2008 because I didn't have a prenup. I got my lawyer to sign it, uh, to write it up but we both never got around to signing it. So I couldn't get out of that house. And in the end, I just had to take, like let them buy me out for what I put into it, not for what it was worth. So that's why I lost 30,000 back then. So that's why I was really keen to, to do one. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Quite often I'll hear from people that they'll get burnt as such once in their life. I shouldn't say burnt, but like they'll have one of those lessons and then that's the catalyst for them to be like, oh, if only I knew that I could have put this in place. And that's actually all good. And those sometimes those conversations are hard, but there's no right or wrong how to do partnership finances anymore. Like get over it, sit down, have a discussion with a professional that does it day in, day out, and they'll strip all the emotion back and you just get to the practicalities of, okay, what's, can we agree on and what's going to set us up for whatever, you know, the future has and whatever things may come up as part of that. Absolutely. And I think with any lesson you learn, you've got to be so grateful for them. I mean, that lesson that I learned way back in 2008, I'm so thankful I only lost $30,000 back then. Imagine if that happened now and you're losing millions. Like, um, yeah. you know, I've got to be really thankful for that. And same with losing $30,000 um, with the Ebert construction going bust. I mean, that took me a, a massive lesson about, um, listening to your gut you know I knew it was too much to take on and didn't feel right, right about it so you know mm. even though these things they look like a lot of expense at the time they are huge and lessons that will propel you forward in the future so the, the yeah yeah it's it's such a good mindset today eh? and I think you can say oh like you know we'll you often frame it as oh we lost thirty thousand dollars or whatnot but really like we've paid that amount to get that lesson of right that is the last time i don't trust my gut or you know i knew how did i already know that i should have trusted my gut you know that's the i've, I've got to stay on this path going forward and eventually like we all go through that stuff right and there will be a different monetary amount for everybody but these things happen to all of us yeah yeah definitely okay so You've then, so now we're at the sort of stage where you're, you don't have any of the businesses. You've literally, your income is your rent roll. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And do you, so you've got to pay tax on that just like everybody else that's got a full-time PAYE job, et cetera. It's basically, it's no different. Your after-tax profit, well, so after expenses, your profit is the income for you that you've got to pay tax on. Were you able to get like working for families or paid parental leave or like anything like that? Is that, or does the, the rent side of it, does that get in the way? Um, do the IRD want to look at it more? Cause they're like, well, you, that's the only income you have. Or did you run into any of those sorts of problems? Um, no, I don't, know. Um, don't think I need to worry about that, but that, um, I think I got the paid parental, paid parental leave. Cause you can, um, my account could show that I had income, you know, like beforehand before um, going on, maternity leave or like but it's kind of weird because you're not it's like you're not working in the business but you still are like I mean it probably takes me an hour a week or maybe even half an hour a week if there's no maintenance issues to do um yeah so what was the other question about that oh I just wondered if like you know it's it's quite rare right for someone to purely be 
just getting rental income and I just wondered if maybe when you went oh. to apply for any of those types of things it'd be hard for the person getting the application to understand like wait you you don't you don't work <laughs> yeah. I also um the, the advantage you'll know about this being an accountant but I one thing I didn't realize that if I had gone back I would have um done better is so back in when I first started investing I bought the properties in my own name and then in 2015 I set up an actual company and got stung with capital gains tax because the um, company bought these properties and it, you know, some of these properties weren't past their bright line. Anyway, that's fine. That's another lesson. Um, so now the company, my company owes me a crap ton of money. So effectively, I'm actually just living off my savings because when, I know this sounds confusing, just trying to explain to people, but you understand it. Um, so any money that I use to live on, I just pay myself whenever I want like usually it's 30 grand but this year's been a bit higher I don't know what I've spent it on um so I just take money out as I need it kind of thing from the company but it's just the company paying back what it owes me and so then I'm just living off my savings but then the positive thing about that is when it comes to tax time say your company's earned I don't know 70k and you go to pay 28 you're going to pay 28 percent tax because your company tax rate well then what the account will do is shift some of that money out and say it's paid me because obviously if I only earned 20,000 or 30,000 on, on a lower tax rate so it's actually and beneficial so one thing if anyone that is looking at wanting to retire do the same sort of thing I would um, when you do transfer into a company make it as high as possible so that the company owes you as much as possible that you can just shift out later on yeah Jeez, getting into I hope I haven't stuffed that up <laughs> no I know I know what you're trying to say well what you're explaining in there yeah there's for everybody, it's it's a little bit different, um, but that's the value of like when you get to what you're doing that scale, you you need to you don't want to wing it. You want to have an accountant, and basically each sort of purchase, you want to be asking right, what are my tax implications? What about in the future? And really keeping them in the loop of of where you're going with your journey as well. Did did you along the path at any stage? Did you get into um, you know, this time I might just buy some land and build four properties or any subdivision type stuff? Did that catch your eye? Yeah, that's sort of more what my focus has been more lately um, because I've got enough holds um, and I don't want the debt to be, I just want to keep my debt low, but I always want to have a bit of debt because it, you're making money on the bank's money, right? So I want to have um, enough debt that I feel comfortable with, but not not too much. Um, so instead of, I just can't like, you know how farmers, they'll work all their life and then they just quit. And then if they just quit and move to town, they just tend to it um so I don't want to be like that I you know like I just I find I can't just stop and do nothing so I yeah. I always I love property I love the deals and buying this and buying that so at the moment I really just am doing subdivision and flips and that's um it's just something I can plot away with um in between having kids and still having something that can occupy my brain um, yeah nice yeah I think everyone has this great idea of retiring but then I actually think work's really healthy for us, especially if we find something that we really enjoy doing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and the other thing is, I guess, not everybody, everyone else isn't retiring. I guess when you are like 65, you'll have other people that are really, <laughs> that mm. can go out to the day and do stuff. Um, yeah, so I guess that's a little bit different being younger and retiring. Um, but we've connected with some, some awesome people um, throughout the country um, it's just that down here, there's not many in my age that have that are sort of in that same boat that have time freedom. 
Yeah. And just to go back a step before I forget, because people will be probably wondering, so if you don't have an income from a job or from a business, say, you've obviously got enough income coming through from the rental income that it services the mortgages that the bank aren't like, hey, no, no, we need you to be out there working to, you know, just to de-risk this a little bit. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, so the amount that it that it earns is, is basically my you know kind of it fluctuates from time to time depending on like if i'm like i'm doing a flip now then obviously you know i've got more expenses going out on that with no income for that property but they've got a mortgage on that one um and so then when it yeah so then it's obviously higher when i've got currently no projects on um but yeah it's basically like a mining wage really so it's no different to someone i guess having having a wage but then every every bank is different like I think it's Westpac's scaling back your um, income, like your your rent roll back to 75%. So it actually makes a huge difference to what bank you go with. Um, oh. Yeah, I did read about that recently, actually. So they're basically sort of, yeah, what they'll willingly lend you will almost decrease because they don't take your rental income as basically 100% income. They, they scale it back to 75% is effectively what you're saying, compared to if someone was making the same amount in employment, they might then go, cool, you're making that because you're a teacher uh, or in a role where we think that there's less risk that that won't come down. So we'll be prepared to, to lend you even more. Mm. Yeah. And, and with the flipping, so the flipping stuff must be treated a little bit different for tax, right? So do you then have to, if you're buying and selling properties, then you've got to pay tax on any of those profits through that process? Yeah. So yeah, completely different. Yeah. 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 Okay. And you've got to have it in a separate cool. company so it doesn't taint your hold properties. Yeah. Oh, shit. You could be an accountant. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> nice one. Um, do you ever face any, like, tall poppy type stuff from, from people that come across you or even in your own bubble or town or family? And, like, how have you dealt with that over the time? Because surely you've been pulled down by people. This is New Zealand yeah, after absolutely. all. But I actually, it took me a long time to figure this out. But um, okay, so back in 2013, when I bought those three properties, within probably a couple of weeks of each other, I came home and I had at this day, oh, I won't say who it was, but anyway, a family member. And I was like, oh, you know, I bought, I just bought three properties this this um, stint when I was away. Um, you know, feeling super excited about it. Thought they'd be excited for me too. But then it was like, oh, it's people like you that are going to stop us from being able to buy a house when we move home. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Okay. Did not talk to you about my <laughs> my property dealings anymore. Um. So yeah, that kind of thing. I guess uh, there is that stigma out there that because you're buying property investment properties, that you're taking away homes from first time buyers. But it's yeah. It. I mean, you'll get those trolls online that will say the same things all the time. But I guess what they don't understand is a lot of the time you're buying properties that need a new roof that first time buyers can't get a, a loan for anyway through the bank. Um. Or you know that. And, they, and a lot of my first home buyers aren't even going for properties that need work anymore because they, they want these houses that are all done up um, most of the time. And um, what else was I thinking with? Um, oh, I had a mind blank. Yeah, you're um, right. I just, oh, yeah. yeah just people trolls and stuff like that, surely in New Zealand. Yeah, and people the, thinking that you're, oh, you're um, charging too much rent and all this. But if you look at my tenants that have been there like long term, they're way under market value, you know, because you know, you want to give back something back to them that, you know, they've looked after the property that long and they're saving you having to reno it because once they move it, you have to renovate it anyway. And they're the kind of people that you say, oh, would you like it renovated? And they're like, 
oh no, I would rather just keep the rent low. So you're like, okay, cool, win-win. Um, so, you know, mm. it's not, people have the stigma about property investors and especially I think when the market's gone um, crazy like it has. So I, I feel like hopefully the next few years that might calm down a bit again because it wasn't so bad when I first started, I don't think. Um, but one thing yeah. I have learned um, in the last couple of years is, and it's the same for people who might have this tall poppy syndrome about um, you traveling or something like, um, I'm just thinking of one example of someone who like, you know, if someone would never ask you questions about, like you, say you've gone on a big, you know, I went on a big one month around the world trip a couple of years ago and you get back and you're excited about it and they never, they just like, oh, how was your trip? <laughs> you know, like, like they feel like they yeah. have to ask but they don't want to know. But what I've realized lately is, was with this person, a couple of people pointed it out. Do you not realize, Ange, that they're just actually jealous that you can afford to go and do all those things and, um, you know, they've done this and done that. And I was like, oh, shiver. So now I actually, now that I understand that it's not that they're not happy for me, they're probably, they might be happy for me, but it's just that they find talking about that hard for them because they're not, they haven't been able to get to that place where they want to be personally. And so now I actually, mm. I don't feel so like, err about it. Like I feel like totally fine. Like I just like, well, I'll talk to people who want to hear about it with those people, but I won't talk to the people that I know are finding that difficult. And I actually feel sorry for, it's more like I feel sorry for them now. I'm not like frustrated. Like, oh, why don't you ask me questions? Why don't you care about, you know, I'm always asking you about your yeah. work. Why don't you ask me about my work kind of thing? Um, yeah, I don't feel like that way anymore. It's, it's been a really big thing to sort of bless off your shoulders, I guess. But once you realize that, that's sort of that's why they're coming from that angle yeah that's pretty cool that's um yeah so applicable for so many people and i think you're right often it's uh, it's just uh they're just conveying their lack of understanding of how that's even possible um and that's their default response of of whatever it is that they decide to tell you and yeah it's, it's probably not that they're disinterested they're just sometimes jealous or envious or just completely misunderstanding of how how that could even be possible because they're thinking about it from the way that they lead and live their life mm, or just frustrated um, that they haven't done you know like worked hard when they're young or, or done whatever you know to get to where they want to be yeah and i suppose you have um had the benefit of the value of housing you know going up in that time right so you've been very very diligent with your purchases and then continuing to earn income uh, the market started to really explode like that's 2010 I've got on screen through to sort of 2022 and the the value of housing in New Zealand's probably nearly tripled which has then allowed you to do the beautiful thing called leverage off of the bank's money right which this is one of the reasons that people love property because they can then borrow against the rising tide of property go and get the next one, continue to work. And then you've got to the point where you've started to worry about rates increasing and property values coming back. And then you've made the smart choice to, you know what, like I'm not too proud to actually sell a couple of properties to then clear some debt to get back to a level that you're really comfortable with being in, right? Because you've just had such a clear plan from the start of exactly what you've wanted to, to execute, which is, you know, pretty cool you must be pretty stoked when you look at graphs like that and you know know that you've had your finger on the pulse so well yeah I mean it, it, yeah it has been great time but also it's been um this is just what the property market does it's in cycles and I think if someone wants to do exactly the same they can start now and do exactly the same thing um I yeah. think it's we're in a great time right now to get started 
Nice. What would your advice be for people that sort of want to get started um, or are thinking about, you know, they're really interested in property? Where can they go and, and learn more about this stuff? Because there's obviously a wealth of knowledge and over decades learning in your head. And we're just basically scratching the surface of kind of what you've done. But I bet you've been down some fucking deep rabbit holes of tax, uh, of property, of interest rates, of LVRs, of banks and what they're willing to lend and law and all sorts of shit. There must be lots going on up there in that head of yours. Yeah. Um, I think one thing that would be is really good is to join the local property investors association. There's a lot of like old guys in there who have huge knowledge because I've not just seen, like I've only seen one, uh, two cycles now, but all those guys have been through like three or even sometimes four cycles. So they're great. If you can go in and, not even don't worry about who the guest speaker is just go there to talk to the old guys like they they've got some really good knowledge and um and if you look at the pattern of what they've been doing and how they've done it you'll get some good ideas from them um yeah i mean you can find a mentor um there's some good property mentors out there um read books there's quite a few books to be honest i haven't ever read any book apart from what was it the four hour work greg i think that inspired me to try and retire early as well yeah. Um, I'm terrible at reading, so, but there are some great books out there um, and podcasts as well. Obviously, it's a great way also. Mm. Nice work. So where to from here for, for Angela? What's, uh, what's the next 10 years look like? Well, currently the current 10 days just been has been a bit of a whirlwind. Um, <laughs> so I've just <laughs> been doing a subdivision. Um, so I've got the land for sale. That's a bit slow at the moment, which is fine. Um, the house went on the market last Thursday, had a multi offer of three offers on Tuesday. Um, I've signed one of those up, so hopefully that means that's gone. And then yesterday, looked at another house to do another deceased estate, which I love, um, for another flip. So, um, yeah, so I put an offer in this morning, and I should have some news about that now because the um, it's been verbally accepted with an early possession date, so I can go in as of like as soon as I pay my deposit tomorrow or whatever and start the work so i just need to line up all my tradies which i've already spoken to um start the work so that basically in two months time when it settles um or even beforehand i've had to list it so i haven't got much holding costs on that one um so that's going to be my next <laughs> that's going to keep me busy for the next couple of weeks um and yeah just try and work on doing the plans for my section and hopefully sell a house and loan package on that one yeah is that you're retired, but at the same time, there is no stopping Angela. She is foot to the gas in the in the spare hours she has between being a full-time mother uh, and wife as well. So just continuing mm. doing what you love, which is which is awesome, right? Must be very must be What's cool and satisfying. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Why can't I slow down? <sighs> no, I do I just I just love it. Yeah. Yeah. And the good thing is too, I mean, every time that you, like, I kind of think of the projects as like project for a project so like um one key thing i think as well with uh wealth is also making sure you're giving money away so ever since i started in the mines i gave away 10 percent of my income and i i just feel like it's like the more that you give away the more money that you get back it's it's like being at a restaurant and someone fills your glass up you know if, every time you drink out of water they, they keep pouring more water into your cup and i feel like that's just like the big man upstairs just keeps on giving you more money the more responsible and more uh, money that you give away um so yeah i i kind of feel like half yeah i'm doing it it's, it's not so much for the money anymore but it's something for fun but it's also um a way of being able to make more money to give back to my community as well so that's I awesome keep, yeah. keep doing it as long as i'm enjoying it i think 
Yeah, that's the way. Yeah, I mean, definitely. If you're if you're enjoying what you're doing, it's easier to to get up and jump on the laptop and then have those tough conversations and all those different things, right? Being especially because you would have flexed the muscle of going through so many deals and stuff by now, you'd know more of like just how to get through different things. And oh, I've seen this before. This isn't the big deal that it you know would have used to be. And uh, I'd imagine as well when it's when you're not buying property for yourself to like live in and this is going to be my home and I'll live here forever and I love this and I can't wait to do this to it and whatnot. You basically you strip all of that emotion and stuff that isn't really real and just go full transactional, right? Yeah, it's all about the figures and you've just got to look at the figures. Yeah, definitely. Keep the emotion out of it. Nice one. Well, thank you for your time and your insights to your journey. That's been uh, really, really interesting and insightful. If people want to keep a further eye on what you're up to and doing into the future, uh, can they find you via Instagram or what's the best way to keep an eye on Angela's story going forward? Yeah, I usually put stuff up there about what I'm up to. So um, it's financially free underscore 533. Wicked. All right, well, if people want to check that out, go and see that. And thank you. We might have to check in in a few years and see um, what you've got up to and uh, what you've managed to, to get through whilst being retired and keeping yourself completely busy doing something that you love. Well, hopefully we'll see if I've slowed down a wee bit by then. <laughs> I highly <laughs> doubt it. <laughs> All right, thanks, Luke.